why haven't we been able to assemble all of those Lego block pieces into something that really is moving the dial and making a difference both at the level of US company competitiveness and at the level of desirability for young people to be entering the manufacturing workforce. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Over the next decade, we will have brought about a generational sea change in U.S. industry from a prevailing worldview of inevitable decline to one of vibrant opportunity. This is what you'll read on the homepage of the organization founded by my guest today. He has his eyes set on how we can pull together the resources that are collectively working to revitalize American manufacturing and make some serious steps forward by the year 2030. Let me introduce him. Doug Berger founded Industry Reimagined 2030, a nonprofit with the mission to bring about a generational sea change in U.S. manufacturing. He is an advisor to Ashoka Social Entrepreneurs who are revitalizing distressed communities. And Doug founded several business advisory firms, which assisted leaders in solving wicked problems and resulting in over $1 billion in additional annual profits. Doug is a speaker with national, corporate, and Vistage audiences. He loves playing jazz guitar, sailing, and biking. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here, Joe. Well, beautiful. So, Doug, there are probably thousands of really great organizations out there that are doing something related to revitalizing manufacturing, which is fantastic. And I'm just kind of curious, why'd you decide the world needed one more with Industry Reimagined 2030? So I started with the observation, there are already thousands mm -hmm. of organizations out there. And with the observation that with that in mind, we have failed to really move the dial. So when you look year over year, month over month, the amount of goods uh, purchased in the United States that are actually made in the United States continues to decline. When you look at the desirability of young people entering the manufacturing workforce, it continues to decline. So I looked and I said, with all these thousands of organizations, like Lego block pieces, like you bought the Lego block kit and you got thousands of Lego block pieces, why haven't we been able to assemble all of those Lego block pieces into something that really is moving the dial and making a difference both at the level of US company competitiveness and at the level of desirability for young people to be entering the manufacturing workforce. 
So it was that question in the background that had me found industry reimagined. So tell me about the organization a little bit. Tell us what it does. And then in, in a moment here, I'll ask you to sort of talk about the mission. Well, let me jump into the mission. In posing that kind of big question, why is it we haven't moved the dial? There were a couple of things that came out of conversations with a lot of experts that I spoke to. And the first thing that came out was that because of the fact that we have been living in a world of manufacturing decline for about 25 years, that for young people, that's the only world they know. And for people that are even under 50, that's the only world they really remember. When you think about that, there really is this kind of hidden hand prevailing view of manufacturing, not only in decline, but it's the only world we know, and therefore decline is inevitable. So unless we shift that narrative, what we're going to continue to do is we're going to continue to see the world through that lens of inevitable decline. So that's one of the cornerstones of industry reimagined was shifting the narrative from inevitable decline to vibrant opportunity. And there's a direct relationship between shifting the narrative and the opportunities that you actually see to engage in. That was one of the cornerstones of industry reimagined. The second thing we noticed is in the, all of this ecosystem of thousands of, of well-intentioned organizations working to revitalize manufacturing, every one of them had their own metrics of what success looks like. We didn't have any true north metrics. So that's where industry reimagined the 2030 came in. We asked ourselves, what would it look like in 2030 if we really had turned the corner, if we really were on a new trajectory and manufacturing were truly being revitalized? What would that look like? And we established, again, in conversation with experts, we established four key criteria, key goals that could be true north goals. One was the number of U.S. companies that were truly globally competitive. The second was the number of well-paying jobs in manufacturing that young people were moving into. The third was the reduction in the environmental footprint. And the fourth area of goal was the percent of the manufacturing economy overall to the United States economy. Manufacturing is 12% of the U.S. economy compared to countries like Japan or South Korea or Singapore, where manufacturing is 22% of their economy, to say nothing about China, you know, which is in a class all its own. So in each of those four dimensions, we established some very bold goals that people said were not practical. At the same time, we would say, but are they impossible? And they said, no, they're not impossible. So we established bold, but not impossible goals to spur a new level of thinking about what it's going to really take to close the gap. So that's the second aspect of industry reimagined is those goals. The third aspect is 
that we really have today Lego block pieces that are capable of closing the gap, but they're not widely known and widely scaled. So a lot of our work is being aimed at how do we take some of these Lego block pieces that really have been proven to drive a higher level of U.S. competitiveness, but aren't well adopted? How do we take the same things where they've been proven to really get young people fast-tracked into well-paying jobs in manufacturing, but they aren't well-scaled yet? So that's the third key aspect of what we're doing. And the fourth key aspect is that a lot of talk about manufacturing is about reshoring, is about bringing back manufacturing. But even if we maxed out that effort, even if we reshored a tremendous amount, we still would not be successful in revitalizing manufacturing. The last missing piece is we have to make sure that we actually are making the future here, not just bringing back the past, but making the future here. And so part of Industry Reimagined is highlighting to people the billions and billions of dollars of opportunity to make the future here in the United States and the big opportunities for young people to make a really good middle-income life by having skilled-level careers in manufacturing. So those are really the four cornerstones of what Industry Reimagined is all about. Well, it's a great mission. A lot of a lot of components there are working together. I've learned to do that on one breath. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. This is not the first time that you spoke that out loud, obviously. So, well, Doug, what, I, what I'd love to do is kind of structure this conversation around those four parts of your mission and have you kind of go deeper on each, if that works for you. So maybe we'll, we'll kind of you know, rewind to the beginning, the first piece of that mission. You know, you t- you've talked about shifting the narrative, right, from inevitable decline to vibrant opportunity. Can you go a little deeper there for us Great. what you see and, and how you change it? Happy to. There's a kind of cognitive component to this. When you're, we're always inside of some narrative. When you're inside of a narrative, what you see is you see the world in a way that is confirming of the narrative that you're living in. So inside of a narrative of inevitable decline, there's a lot of things that keep getting reported over and over and over again as factual, even though they're outdated. So we keep, for example, reporting over and over again that manufacturing jobs are are dumb, dark, dirty, dangerous. When in fact, a lot of manufacturing facilities, people would say you can eat off the floor. And now that's not to say that there aren't some dark, dirty, dangerous manufacturing occupations, but those are going away. The future of manufacturing is really very right, technologically modern factories and plants. Another area where the narrative keeps getting reported over and over again is the wages of people. If you look at people who are essentially unskilled or semi-skilled in manufacturing, it's true that the wages there are marginally different than a warehouse worker at Amazon. That's true. But if you look at skilled level, 
skilled level includes things like welders and computer numerical control people and technicians who are capable of repairing you know, electronically controlled devices. The skilled people that are at a skill level are really in a shortage. They're making, after two or three years in that skill level, they're making 80,000 or, or more a year. But we report it in this kind of max grow aggregate that would have people thinking, I can't make much more money in manufacturing than I can working at Amazon. Why would I want to do that? These things that get perpetuated inside of the narrative. Well, we still don't really say, by and large, that the United States can be a fierce competitor in all sectors in advanced manufacturing. That's part of what the inevitable decline is. The flip side of that is inside of the narrative of decline, we actually don't see then these robust opportunities going forward. So we don't see the robust opportunities of electrification of cars, and we'll talk more about that, but those robust opportunities kind of get filtered out. When I'm doing a presentation, I, I like to show an example of a photograph of the night sky taken through the Hubble telescope and a photograph of the exact same spot taken through the James Webb telescope. And they're lensing if different spectrums of, of electromagnetic radiation. And you actually see different universes. You see different night skies when you lens the universe through James Webb or you lens it through a Hubble. And that's exactly the same thing that we're trying to talk about in terms of the lensing of vibrant opportunities is for companies to see all the opportunities that are really available from the present going forward into the future. So that's how that narrative actually translates from being something conceptual to actually being the basis by which people take action. Well said, Doug. Let's talk about the second part of that mission. You've started getting in a little bit to what you described as true North, North goals that align the thousands of organizations that are working together. Dive in a little deeper on, on those goals, what they are, yeah. why they matter. When we look at competitiveness, for example, there's a lot of thinking out there that driving competitiveness at a national level really is fundamentally driven by federal policy. And there's some truth to that, but it's not fully true. In fact, the playing field for manufacturing in the United States has not been a level playing field. So we do need to do some things at the federal level to level the playing field. And actually, over the last administrations, there have been some good things that have been done to level the playing field. So that's a very macro level view of things. But there are also things that companies can do to level up their own competitiveness, regardless of what the national policy legislation and taxation and funding is. One of the things that we really are advocating are the kinds of things that companies can do to take control of their own competitive destiny and not have their competitive destiny pinned by federal policy. And the same thing is true at the locale level of a community. What can a community do 
through unprecedented collaboration. You take Cleveland. There are 4,000 highly skilled job openings in the area of Cleveland that they that manufacturers in Cleveland can't fill. Those solutions need to be coming from the locale level. But, so what we need to be doing is not looking to have a uniform answer across the United States. We need to be creating solutions at the local level that can be scaled to locale after locale after locale. And that's some of what Industry Reimagined is working with some locales to have them create solutions that are not just one-off solutions, but are solutions that have the potential for really being scalable. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes, so I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keough. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50-plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic, and one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value. No cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. So Doug, how about going into the third the third piece of your mission? I, I know when we were talking last time, a few weeks back to prepare for this conversation, you'd, you'd mentioned there were seven nonlinear emerging categories in manufacturing that are going to go through exponential growth. You want to go into that? Perfect. Great. Okay, great. So first, we need to understand what exponential growth is. If you were standing in the shoes of back in the year 2010, E-commerce was not a fundamental business model. Now, 12 years later, if you're not in e-commerce, you're out of business. I was working with a client 20 years ago, and we were talking about electric cars and autonomous vehicles and things like that. And 20 years ago, that was like barely on anybody's radar screen. Now, you look at what happened in the last five years with Tesla literally coming from nowhere to completely reshaping the automotive industry. Disruption is slow, 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 slow all at once. So that's the nature of exponential is very early on, the curve is very, very gradual. And then it hits that inflection point that it looks like 
that came out of the clear blue. But if you have your eye out for what is exponential, you know you're going to hit that inflection point. You just don't know when. That's what we're concerned with is we're concerned with those exponential areas where at some point they're going to hit that inflection point, but you can't predict exactly when that's going to happen. So there's electrification and electrification is more than just solar panels. It's more than cars and batteries. You go into Home Depot now and you, you, it's hard to find a gas powered leaf blower because everything is electric. So if you start to think about all the areas that we basically don't attend to that are going to become electrified over the next seven to 10 years, whenever that inflection point is, and that's going to affect homes, it's going to affect factories, it's going to affect office buildings. This whole area of electrification is one of those huge exponential areas, and we're just seeing it right now. So that's one thing. Second area is clean tech. We hear a lot about carbon capture, and that's just one aspect of it. We hear about clean energy generation, and that's just another aspect of things. But if you think about the supply chain behind those products, so think about cars, the supply chain behind a car when a car goes electric. Well, if you're in the muffler business, that's not a growth business if for an electric car. It's the lubrication business, the engine business. If you think about the supply chain for an electric car, it's a radically transformed and reconfigured supply chain. When we think about clean tech, it's a radically transformed supply chain for clean tech. And again, if you think about wind power, we haven't reached the inflection point yet in terms of the volume of energy generated through those things. And then there's the whole supply chain aspect of that, which the United States, honestly, is not a big player in the supply chain of clean tech. We have agricultural technology. We have clean water technology. For years and years, we ignored the water shortage. And now you can't ignore it if you're out in the Western half of the United States. Now there's a whole lot of technology that's going to be going into water purification and water capture and all of that. There's agricultural technology. John Deere tractors don't just plow the field. They're sensing the water content in the field. They're sensing the nutrient content in the field. They're applying fertilizer in very, very specialized ways. That's transforming itself. There's smart cities that are, and everywhere there's a smart city kind of application. There's not just machine learning and algorithms. There are devices. So think about how they're going to have traffic lights that are smart traffic lights that don't have you waiting at the red light when there's no oncoming traffic crossing the other way or sensors embedded in roads and cars picking up on sensors so that they can avoid accidents. All of those have a manufacturing component to it. There's making advanced production technologies of which the United States buys about 30% of the world's 
advanced production technology, but we only make 10%. So we're importing twice the amount of advanced production technology than we make in the United States. So these are really robust areas that you one can say are going to experience an exponential growth over the next seven to 10 years. We, we can't predict when that particular inflection point is going to happen. And they're going to ripple throughout the entire supply chain. In the United States, we often think of manufacturing as the Fortune 1000, 2000. But there are 350,000 manufacturers in the United States. The vast majority of those manufacturers employ under 50 people. So they're, they're embedded in the invisible supply chain that we don't notice until all of a sudden we can't find toilet paper on the shelves. Or you can't, you can't get your car fixed. That's that hidden aspect of the manufacturing economy, but it's huge. So that's that area of exponential and disruptive growth opportunities. There are things we're not going to bring back. We're not going to bring back really high volume commodity type production. Doesn't make any sense for us to be doing that. But if you hear, listen to what I'm talking about as the future, it's not high volume commodity production. It's much more customized production. It's much more advanced technology production. So Doug, I know there's a fourth piece of your mission here, which is related to the action projects that you're engaged in. Tell us what that's all about. When we look at putting ourselves on a new trajectory, company competitiveness, there are two things that we noticed are available, proven to be valuable in driving company competitiveness, and yet not widely scaled. And so we have action projects in that area. And the core idea of our action projects is not to be one more additional 1,001 player, but to drive unprecedented collaboration among people that are already out there, but they're not unified in the effort that they're taking. So one of those areas is lean manufacturing. So lean manufacturing has been proven to drive home levels of company competitiveness. And companies that have implemented lean have dramatically improved their throughput, their cost structure, their quality. There's evidence is incontrovertible about that. Yet only about 10 to 15% of US manufacturers have truly implemented lean as a core way of doing business. We formed a collaborative effort. We call it Reimagine Lean, where we've gotten together lean experts and thought leaders from around the United States. We posed the big question called lean's only being adopted by 10 to 15%. What do we need to do in order to expand that from 10 to 15% to 40 to 50% of companies are truly utilizing lean methods and driving a whole new level of competitiveness at the national level, but we're driving it because each company 
is getting a whole new level of its own competitiveness. So we have this initiative on Reimagine Lean. We have another initiative on Industry 4.0. So everyone's saying you've got to be playing in Industry 4.0. You've got to be playing in Industry 4.0. And, you know, seven to 10 years out, it's probably going to be true that if a company is not adopted appropriately Industry 4.0 type manufacturing technologies, it's going to be losing out in competitiveness in, on, in both the domestic market and the world market. But Industry 4.0 has not hit that inflection point either, you know, at the large company level, all the way down to the small and medium-sized company, only about 15% of companies are truly getting the benefits from Industry 4.0. And it's much harder if you're a small, medium company than if you're a big company. If you're a big company, you can develop, you know, you, you can assign specialists to be working on that area. You can afford consultants to come in. There's a whole wealth of products that have been developed and targeted for big companies to spend big bucks. We've left the small and medium-sized manufacturer out of the equation. And again, you know, the small and medium-sized manufacturer is two-thirds of the U.S. manufacturing capability. So we're right now in the process of building collaboratively what we call an Industry 4.0 ecosystem for the small, medium-sized manufacturer to help the small, medium-sized manufacturer translate use cases that they have of pain points and translate that into cost-effective and friendly solutions being made available by Industry 4.0 vendors. So we have an initiative in that particular area. We have another initiative that we call Reimagine Dialogues, which is, you know, the average business owner is running their business day by day, week by week, month by month. Disruptions coming down the road, but they may not have truly felt it as yet because of that inflection point notion. So we've created this collaboration where we get executives together from non-competing areas to engage in what we call reimagined dialogues. Let's understand what some of these disruptive changes are going to be that are going to affect the heart and soul of your business sometime over the next seven to 10 years. And let's have you appreciate the world that you're going to be living in seven to 10 years from now and how you not need to start thinking about the way your company is going to be changing to deal with that world in seven to 10 years. So back to my example of the muffler maker, there's still a big opportunity to make mufflers in the United States. And there's gonna be a lot of mufflers sold for decades. But if you're interested as an owner in growing your business, I don't know that you'd wanna be investing in more muffler capacity at this point. So you'd be wanting to say, look, I'm a strong player in the mobility area. Where can I start to see opportunities to be playing in automotive and truck and buses and mobility that are new to me today. But if I start to ease my way into it, 
I can find the sweet spot for where I want to be playing in those areas. So that's what this reimagined dialogue is about. It's about expanding people's perception so that they start to see for themselves opportunities down the road to start now preparing for, but they're not opportunities that are necessarily going to move the dial in their business today or tomorrow. So that's the, the last piece or what we call the industry reimagined 2030 action initiatives for actually engaging different organizations in a collaborative mode. And we have something going on with education as well in that area. Well, Doug, I love your mission. It's been great talking through you know all the different components of it. Is there anything that I did not ask you about outside of you know breaking all those pieces down that you'd you'd like to communicate to our audience today? We're going to start doing webinars and other outreach on these topics in deeper dives. So I would invite anybody listening who is interested in knowing what's coming down the pike from Industry Reimagined to go to our website, sign up. We're not going to you know, be blasting you with tons and tons of offers, and, but there's going to be some interesting educational opportunities, interesting orientation opportunities for people to start to wrap their heads around how they might be able to make their company more competitive, how they might be able to attract the higher level of skill worker into their workforce, how to start preparing for growth opportunities that are opportunities that will be big and bold, not too far down the road. So I, I would just invite people to raise your hand, let us know you're out there so we can stay in touch with you. All right, well, great, Doug. So ir2030.org is how you can get there. And yep. please, I encourage everybody who's listening right now to take a visit, see what Doug and his team are up to. And if, you, if there's a way for you to get involved, please give that some consideration. And Doug, really love what you're doing for manufacturing. And I also really appreciate you being a guest on the show today. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks very much for what the contribution that you and your podcast and your fellow guests are, are making. Everything we can do to just start to get this into the general public awareness is just absolutely important. Well, beautiful. I appreciate you saying that. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. So, well, thanks again, Doug. I appreciate you doing this. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>